Real people, real opinions, real talk radio. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic Hits. I read a very interesting article uh, the other day in the Cork Echo, and it was written by Anne Murphy, and it was a great story, but the story got my attention. as such a sad and tragic story of a Cork mother uh, speaking out for the first time after she lost not just but one, but all three of her sons to heroin. And uh, she joins me on the line. Carmel Kidney, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Nile. And before I start, my condolences. I have no understanding what it must be like for you as a mother to lose three of your adult sons um, in such a tragic way. So my condolences to you and your family. And your, I know you have three, you have six children all together. So uh, my condolences yeah. to you. And that, it must be horrific. I don't, I don't know how you... It's obviously a living nightmare for you. It is, absolutely. Living nightmare is the word, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so let, let's go back a little bit in time. You know, you have six children. How, how old are your other children, by the way? Oh, the two, the three I've left? Yes. Yeah. Um, Louise would be, I suppose, about 37. She'd be the second eldest. Yeah. So Alan would have been the first. Yeah. So he's 44 now. So 44, 45, 46. And there's a year then with Louise. So. Right, okay. But, I have two daughters and one son left. Well, Fergus, John and Alan, as we speak, are lying in a grave in St. Oliver's Cemetery. Um, all, you know, young men who, yeah. uh, when I say young men, all between, they all died with three years apart. Um, and they all died from heroin. Uh, the grown, they were grown adults at the time. And c- can you remember going back, if we could go back a little bit in time, Carmel, was, what led them to that point? Or what led to that point where there was an addiction? I mean, less than two years ago, in 2016, Fergus died. Uh, John was the first to die in September 2014 at 37 years of age. And then Alan died in 2017, and he was 44. He was your firstborn, of course. So, yeah, and, and I mean, were there problems throughout their lives in their teenage years? Had they, I mean, were they mixing with the wrong people? How did they get involved in heroin? Yeah, exactly. You've said it all. Mixing with the wrong people, number one. Um, they were at home. They were hard workers. All three of them worked in the same place. John Fergus, they were twins, as you know. Mm-hmm. And they were qualified boners. And Alan was the driver. They, you could say they were a family of a, a, a meat factory. Uh, that they done great. They were fantastic workers. Mm. When they they were at home for years, when they left, they went on. Uh, of course, it was time to move on to them, mm-hmm. you know. And nothing did I least think that this was going to happen. And so they moved on to Bandon Town, and this is what happened. And did you know the extent of the heroin addiction that they had? Did you know the extent or did you know how serious it was? Absolutely not. And they didn't know themselves. Um, but when, when they left, uh, it's like we said, the wrong company, the company they got into, whatever company they got into, they didn't have a clue, a clue about drugs or not a mindset, a needle. When I when when I found that needle, um, like you, you read the article, when I found that needle here uh, in a trash bin, when 
He, the last fellow was here with me. Mm. He stayed a night. I've never seen him after that. He was at the coroner's report for Fergus. And uh, he was just, you know, he left uh, the box. He went out the door, uh, obviously, to get more heroin that I didn't know. But when I actually, oh, when I went to the bin, I got, didn't expect what I seen. And I see that black box and the yellow little leaflet. And I went and I got gloves. And I looked. I could not believe it. You know? And they had normal childhoods. You know, I mean, obviously, I mean, when I say normal childhoods, there were six children. So financially, it was obviously a stretch for you because you had six children. Uh, so that's not obviously financially always very easy. But apart from that, reasonably normal childhoods. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. They were happy-go-lucky boys and... They were like a little team, so to speak, because the twins and Alan then, I suppose, they're in and around the same age, well, close enough. They they would have been like a team, I suppose. Um, uh, Alan was the eldest, you mm, see. Yeah. And, uh, Alan finished his schooling in, in, in London and uh, came home because uh, even though he finished all his schooling, he didn't get nowhere. So when he came up back, back to me, it would, then he went working with the twins. You know, so um, they were happy. Their lives consisted of around me, uh, work, come back, weekend, get paid here, ma'am. Money, money, money to help ma'am. And then get ready, run for the shower, have their dinner and go to meet their girlfriends. Just like any normal boy that's happy. And... In 2014, when John died, of course, that came as a great shock to you. I can only imagine the despair and the grief. I mean, Alan and Fergus, obviously, were still alive at that point. Absolutely. How did they handle his death? I mean, did they? was that not something to them that would have said, gosh, look what's happened to our brother. We need to do something. I mean, how, how did they handle that? This is a tragic thing about it, yeah. I reckon when John died, because there was a needle found in John, and now... Mm. When they had found John, okay, Fergus was the twin brother. He was the very last to know about that, you know? Mm-hmm. And Alan found them. They were all in the same place at that time. And uh, he had to go and tell his twin brother. So you can imagine. Well, they, uh, that didn't work. I, I wouldn't say they handled the, the grief of that very well. Yeah, absolutely. And they did not know. And then Fergus felt a bit completely. So you you, you think that made his problem even worse? Absolutely. It didn't help the situation. And as for Alan, definitely not. Because Alan had to find Fergus then. He knocked at the door. He was was ringing him. He got no answer. Ah, come on, Fergus, open the door. Let me in. And the next thing he rang the guard and there was Fergus uh, lying in a pool of blood with blood coming out of his ears, his eyes, and you name it. And Alan never got over that. So that led him down a very rocky road and sadly he, he died. He died then. And there was nothing between... Um, 
himself and for this. And, and how how do you, as a mother, and I'll go to some of the other parts in a second, because I know at the time, obviously, from your point point of view, financially, you couldn't even afford to have the lads in a funeral home. Um, because of your own financial situation, it was expensive for you and you couldn't do it. No, I could not. I could not afford to do it. And that's being honest. Because I had no one. I had no one. I had no help. I had no one. I had to uh, see one coffin coming in my door, then another one coming in my door, and then another one where I laid them out. In the space of three years? Three of your sons? Yes. I don't know how every day must be just like a nightmare for you. It Uh, is. And I don't know how you deal with that. I know my own mother lost one son, and I know the effect, the devastating effect that had on her, my 24-year-old brother, when he died. So I can only imagine what it must be like for you to lose three sons in the space of three years. That must have been awful for you. It was dreadful. To lose one, even like you were saying there yourself, your man, even to lose one, that never goes. And your man will tell you that. But to lose another one and another one, and I'm sure him and likewise knows the expense. I had to lay them out in the front room. I could not afford to uh, put them into a funeral home. I couldn't afford, uh, like, people had big, big uh, ceremonies for them. I mm. didn't have none of that, you know. Yeah. And left with debts. Uh, I'm on my own. Uh, I do cry a lot. Um thinking about it, worrying about them, and worrying about the death. You and wh- and what, sort of, what sort of effect has their death had on the other children as well, I suppose, because they would have seen that happening? Absolutely. It left a, a devastating uh, blow on, on my daughter, Sarah, and on my only, I've once one left, who was absolutely terrified about me. Absolutely, so scared. Well, maybe that's a, maybe that's a good thing that he's terrified of them and, and, and scared of them, because it he is. maybe it'll stop him from ever going down that rocky road. And he's lost his three big brothers, yeah. you know. So that that certainly won't uh, yeah. lead him down the wrong road. Uh, I'm very sorry to hear your story. It's a dreadful story. Now, the reason I wanted to talk to you about it and, and ask you about it is, of course, is that you've spoken out in relation to injection centres. Now, I know that the planning permission. Uh, for the one in Dublin has been refused in Merchant's Quay, but that doesn't stop them. Uh, they'll apply to have it somewhere else, and probably in Cork and Limerick and Galway as well. Do you agree with the idea of these injection centres where lads like Alan, like Fergus, like John, could all go and inject themselves safely in an injection centre? No, nothing is safe. I do not agree with it, Niall. Absolutely, 1,000%, I do not agree with it. Because I know what I've seen. Um, they inject their toes into their toes, every vein in their bodies, and it, it, it interrupts their, their brain. Uh, they can't function right. Uh, and, and if this continues, if they do do this, it's going to bring a lot, a lot of harm to a lot of mothers and fathers and everywhere. It's going to get all out of hand. I totally In other words, what you're saying is you believe that by doing having injection centres, we're almost suggesting we're giving heroin the green light. Absolutely. Yeah. They're saying, 
what they're doing is they're Irishic. Here you are, here's your needle, and in again Nile, here we have the dealers, right? We have the dealers now, remember too. So uh, the dealers will give them the stuff, right? Bang away now. Mm-hmm. So in actual fact, when they come out of that centre, okay, if that does happen, which I'm here to say it shouldn't happen, they're going to be banging up outside then. And you have the likes of uh, people who live near them, you have needles thrown around, and this is the situation. Well, look, all I can say to you is my condolences to you once again. And thanks to those, by the way, who helped you as well. It wouldn't go. It would be wrong of me not to mention people like Tony O'Brien, who crafted the headstone Absolutely. for you as well and helped you out at a time of need, and other people who donated as well and helped you out. Well, I, they didn't really donate that uh, yeah. much. Um, yeah. uh, uh, they they was in the kitty. I think it's because, like Niall, I get this through to you, Niall, as you mentioned it. Uh, there was uh, five hundred euro put into the kitty. Yeah. That's what was put into the kitty. And and that was it. And and it's, I uh, and that, and I'm sorry to hear that. And I and I know you were kind of very strapped at the time, certainly for cash, and you wanted to bury your sons with dignity, of course. Yeah. Uh, and I know that you were very grateful to, to the Dublin businessman Tony O'Brien. Uh, yeah, from Irish crafted headstones who actually went there and, and sorted that out for you and donated a headstone for the grave. He did. He donated the headstone from Dublin. But there's uh, a lot of deck in the coffers that they that they're giving out needles, paying for needles, when I could have been helped, mm. you know? And that is very, very sad for me. I have to live with it every day. And how are you? How are you right now? I mean, how are you living with that? Are you coping with it well enough? I know it's still very raw. Two thousand seventeen was the, obviously the last uh, passing that you had. So, Absolutely. how are you now? Um, are you dealing I, I, with it okay? Uh, no, I cry about it. Like, but I look at the photos of my boys here in one room, and I this room I live in, and. If uh, I don't watch television that often since they died, but I do pray a lot for them. I know they're happy now. I am glad that we're that they're not here now, that they're in a better place because things are not going to get any better. You know? I know. I understand. Well, look, I wish you well, and I wish you well personally too, Carmel, and I hope that you can... I know you never, ever get over something like that, but time is a good healer. And time maybe yeah. helps you to, to deal with things a little bit better as well. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much indeed, Carmel, for talking You're to us. Very, and very uh, and if, it helps, if it helps one person listening today, maybe who Hopefully, uh, is in an addiction. God, I yeah. hope that there will be no needles come along here and no, no, because it's going to get all out of hand now. Uh, it's been lovely speaking to you. You too. And uh, goodbye and God bless. Real people, real opinions, real talk radio. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic Hits.